We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And today we're going to zoom in on a very specific topic in hopes that by the end of the conversation, by tonight's game, when you watch the Lakers play the Kings, you're, you're able to identify some of the things we're talking about in this pod yourself as you watch the game. And after our 2-10 and 10 start, we are tied for fourth in offensive rating in the NBA. And that's over 30 plus games now. And I think if you went back in time and told Laker fans and us, you know, in October that there would be a 30 game stretch where the Lakers were a top five offense, we would have laughed at you. And I think the central topic and reason for that growth is built around the pick and roll game. Now, this four out uh, system and especially the way that we run our four outs. When you watch the Lakers play, you're going to see us run pick and roll over pick, uh, pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. Very pick and roll intensive team, and we have a lot of player combinations within that that facilitate that. And a couple of guys who can be both the ball handler and the roll man. So that's the topic for today. D and I are going to kind of riff on some ideas around the pick and roll game. And I want to start the conversation around Russell Westbrook because he's been a key figure in this. You uh, describe his passing as phone booth passing. And that's one of the things that I've learned to appreciate. Even a guy that's been in the league for years and years, when he gets to your team, seeing him on a day-to-day basis, you just grow an appreciation for more specific things. And that's absolutely one of the things is his ability to deliver the ball in accurately in close quarters, all sorts of things like that. So talk to me about Russell Westbrook's impact on the pick and roll game. Well, first of all, he's just one of the better downhill players in the entire league, particularly for a guy who doesn't have a great jump shot. And so 
I think it's interesting to talk about pick and roll success, considering there's so many different ways in which you can run the pick and roll and and the types of players that we've been pining for for the last couple of years and their general absence from the team or even if they are on the team the general lack of playing time that they've been getting within the context of the conversation we're going to have today, right? And so we talked a ton over the last two seasons about like hammering, the Lakers need a skill guard, the Lakers need need a skill guard, that pull-up jump shooter is going to unlock the pick and roll. <laughs> and yep. I think that that concept is still true or relevant within the context of like overall team construction, sure. right? And you would agree with that, right? Just like, hey, that pull-up jump shot, yeah, man, but it's gotten to very, very good even without that. I just think that would be kind of like the the final infinity stone type of thing, but it hasn't been necessary to good pick and role play. Well, I just think it's one of the things that we were looking for based off of the type of personnel that the Lakers have typically employed, right? And so, and the Lakers have done so many interesting things with how they've run the pick and roll in order to allow Russ to flourish in this style. And Mm. one of the things that we'll get to later, I think, is the implementation of better screening angles and where the team is setting those screens, particularly for Russ. And, And I think as we break down the action a little bit more, like we'll dive into that stuff. But I just wanted to start with Russ's downhill ability and his ability to beat the defender to the spot in which they're trying to get to considering the type of coverage that they like to run because it sets up everything for him, Pete. The fact that he's able to get to six feet and in off of this action and force help, that's the signature of how Russ is creating success within the pick and roll. And are you seeing the same thing there? Very much so. And he does it in a different way than other guards do because – Teams are sagged so far off of him. It doesn't like Russ's attacks on the rim oftentimes don't create the same sequence that other players do because the defense, especially from a guard spot, is going to be a little more respectful most of the time of a pull up jump shot. And whereas even in one on one situations, especially guys are sagging five, six feet off of him. And that's one of the the. That's one of the best parts about him in the half-court offense is that he can still create advantage even when the defense is protecting against the thing that he wants to do. He can still get it. And that's when – that's where – you can really win battles and that's in, it, that's very helpful in playoff basketball in particular where deception and sort of the opponent not expecting the thing that you want to do like that's gone by game two game three of a series and you have to be able to beat them when they're trying to stop you uh, at a particular thing and so he does that but he also it's also the delivery of passes and yes. that like my, my mind goes to the combo of him and Wenyon but it's him Wenyon LeBron and TB we've got three bigs that are great at ceiling and for different reasons right LeBron's the guy who knows every you know every angle every move he understands the execution of the technique all of that he's the pinnacle of that and we'll talk about the Russ LeBron combo later but they have skyrocketed in net rating uh recently when they're they're together on the court um but Wenyon does this too and when teams switch and this is something to watch for tonight with bench units when teams switch 
there's a vulnerable point in that switch where if the big man reverse pivots and keeps you, he can keep you on his back and seal. And this is very like 90s old school basketball, these post seals being super important part of the game. But that again is kind of how we're doing things and why I'm so intrigued by that and how successful it's been. D. And Russ's ability to deliver the ball and understand like, okay, they are about to switch. Wenyan is about to reverse pivot and seal on his back. And I'm going to throw a perfect pass to his outside hand. That's going to lead him toward the basket. And that's the type of thing that Russ facilitates really just uh, at a super high level. That's great explanation there in terms of the timing of that, because the thing that I really wanted to hit on in, in conversations with well about Russ is the timing of his passes and his ability to throw passes into space rather than to a player Mm -hmm. and and this is why russ gets turnovers as well because he is often throwing the ball to a spot because that's the spot on the floor that is open right the player's not open and this is one of the things that i've talked a ton about about passers that that i love is their ability to pass players open Right. Mm -hmm. And it's because you were leading a guy away from where the defense is or throwing the ball into a spot where it's catchable, but it's not intuitive for the defense to be in that particular spot. And part of that idea of phone booth passing, like passing in really tight quarters where in reality, you probably shouldn't be passing at all based off of the con based off of what the defense is trying to do to you and how close you are as an offensive player to the basket like most mm-hmm. times you would be shooting there but in reality there's not a good shot for you either and so there's like four people in the paint at this point it's you with the ball you're the big man who's engaged you your pick and roll partner who is also close to the basket now and then whoever is trying to cramp in there and then tacked on top of all of that is the nature in which the way that defenses treat the Lakers in general which is like we're here anyway exactly right like they're inviting them there they are but we're still trying to win those battles and it's funny that idea of getting downhill from Russ one thing I've learned to appreciate I guess I'd call it him learn how well he goes uphill, meaning that you've got these really congested paint situations like the one that you were just talking about where there's like five dudes in there and he kind of takes his time and it's almost like a rock climber where he's like, okay, I got my hold here, but there's a hold over here. So I'm going to inch a little bit over this way. And meanwhile, Wenyan is reading it and looping behind him because you don't want to be in the same lane, right? When you're, you want one guy to be along one lane line and then the role guy to be on the other. But sometimes you're going to kind of switch spots within doing that. And they do a great job of doing that until finally Wenyan gets that seal and gets to an outside hand and then the ability to hit the jump hook with either hand like you can you can complete that process even though the defense is totally guarding you to do it and so that ability to get uphill i suppose uh by russ i've i've learned to appreciate that no that's that's a great description and the ability to be successful in in a crowd is important for this version of the lakers in which there is always a crowd around the basket. I don't know if the Lakers still lead the league in points in the paint, but they've been near or at the top Mm -hmm. of the league pretty much the entire season. And some of that is based off of transition and how much they hunt transition points. But I would imagine that they also score a lot in the paint in the half court, right? They don't take a lot of the threes. Their mid-range jump shooting is mostly 
all LeBron James and a little bit mm-hmm. of Austin Reeves, but not a lot of other guys are taking mid-range jumpers. And so it's it's a lot of at-the-basket stuff. And the pick and roll in terms of Russ's ability is that once he's engaged, he he is passing the ball into these windows and and that's his part of the job. His partner's part of the job is to make his way into that window. And it's very cat burglar-esque of yes. Wendy Gabriel <laughs> and and Thomas Bryant and even LeBron James in that they work their way into and through these windows in order to receive passes where they can then get makeable shots in the restricted area. And they have access to one fewer of those windows than Anthony Davis does in that none of them are really a lob threat. Like they can catch lobs, but they just need better conditions than AD does to be able to gather their feet to do that. No, and I'm glad you brought this up because it was a point I was going to make earlier is that it's hard to think of a more successful pick and roll operation that doesn't include a real vertical threat at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. And even AD, AD catches lobs, but the Lakers are way more prone to throw the pocket pass on dives than they are to throw Mm -hmm. lobs because Teams are taking away the vertical spacing by tagging from the weak side corner. They are not respecting Lakers shooters. And the way mm-hmm. you get the over-the-top lob, all those dunks that like Amari Stoudemire used to get, it's because the tag isn't really there, right? And you can beat the tag still with a pocket pass, and that's what LeBron has been throwing to AD way more than what he used to throw mm-hmm. to JaVale McGee for example, or even AD, right? Mm-hmm. Or even Dwight Howard when it was Danny Green and KCP yep. spacing weak side corner, right? Versus the guys that the Lakers have now where it's just like, hey, well, okay, that's Troy Brown over there. He can make that shot, but we're going to make him make it and we're mm-hmm. going to tag the role man in order to make that happen. So it's it's an interesting combination with Rusk in particular because of the way that the defense plays him as well. And I and I wonder if at this point it would be good to sort of get into the mechanics of how defenses approach Russ and how they play him off of the dribble and how mm-hmm. the Lakers have sort of beat that as much as they yeah. can. It's not every single time, but as much as they can by flattening out their screens, by mm-hmm. setting screens lower, because at some point they're just like, okay, well, you're going to keep sagging off. Well, guess what? We're going to set this this pick like at the elbow or at the free throw line extended. And how are you going to go under on this? You're already in the paint now. And so talk to me what you're seeing in terms of screening angles and spots on the floor where they're setting screens for Russ, because I think that that's also critical to this idea. It, it absolutely is. And it goes to that whole dance between Russ and Wenyon that I was describing earlier, right? And so on a lot of the switches, the switches can be vulnerable to a couple of uh, screen types. One is that that drag screen type where Wenyon sets it and then he reverse pivots. But then the other are step-up screens. And what a step-up screen is, is that the screener starts along the baseline and steps up to set the screen at a flat angle. And what that means is that their shoulders are parallel 
to the sidelines, right? So they're facing the opposite basket. They're not angled either way. And what a flat angle ball screen does is allow the ball handler to choose which direction he's going to go in. And now, mind you, this is a communication between the uh, the ball handler and the screen setter, and they're all constantly adjusting while the the defender is doing the same thing. And so this is one of the cool little micro games that happen a lot in an NBA game. And so it requires, that's one of the reasons I've been talking about like the IQ of TB and Wenyon and obviously LeBron as a role man. And that's why the Russ LeBron combo just kind of goes through the roof is because they're both like genius level at, at this type of play. And so they're just killing uh, teams with that. But yeah, going through that dance on a flat angle screen, you can, yeah, you can sag off of a guy, but if the screen's coming from behind you, you're still going to get screened off and it's still kind of, uh, it cycles the same options. And this was something that even that Frank talked about last year in, in that early on, he was like, Hey, our screening angles are going to be really important in terms of freeing up looks. Now, I think it was more of a personnel thing, Like we were too big and had too little spacing out there to be able to execute that. But same idea. Yeah. Those flat angle screens are really important. One of the things that this flat angle screen does, does as well, Pete is it creates an opportunity where it looks like a slip, but it's actually mm. not a slip. Right. Explain and so, what a slip is if, for those. And, and so know. a lot of times a slip is when you go up to set a ball screen and in, and you basically leave early. Right. So every everyone knows here comes a ball screen. Right. Everyone's communicating defensively. Everyone knows that that this is coming. And so let's say Russ is handling the ball at the top of the key and LeBron is going to come up to set a ball screen on him rather than make contact and stay still. Right. And. LeBron goes like he's going to set set the screen and right before he's about to hit the player and set and make that contact, he just dives right, right out of it and sort of streaks to the front of the rim to try to catch a pass. Right. And a lot of times this is meant to disrupt the timing of the defense and, and allow you to get a clear passing angle where there typically would not be one before the defense rotates. And one of the rules of, of thumb that I would always tell my players is if, if you hear the defense, like, you know, as guys come out of a timeout, right, and everyone's discussed what they're going to discuss, if you hear ever hear two opponents talking switch, 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 you know, calling out for a switch, then switch means slip. So that's where those are most effective using slip, slip screens is against uh, switching defense, which a lot of bench units run. And so one of the things that and this is something that LeBron and Russ are very good good at because LeBron, for all of the things that LeBron does great, which is pretty much everything, watch him set screens like on ball mm-hmm. and off ball screens. He is such a great screen setter. He makes good contact. Yep. He, like, and, and he's just a big, strong, physical dude. And, and so you don't think of him oftentimes as like, oh, this great off ball worker or someone who does. But he does. One of the things that makes great players great, I've always said, is is that not only do they have all the talent in the world and all the work ethic in the world and they can do the spectacular things well, it's that they also do all of these little things well yep. and they do the little things almost better than everyone else too right and so yep. guys i That's always used, used used to point to about that were like kobe and tim duncan and to a certain extent even kevin garnett like these guys are super mm-hmm. skilled but all of the little things they did them so 
fantastic. And it's just like, and oh, they understood well, the value of those little little things, right? Like, I, I'm a believer that most players can do most of those little things if they care about it enough. Where those great players, like understood absolutely how much you could get out of it. And LeBron, when you hear him talk about his longevity in his post-game press conferences, this is a big thing that he talks about right here is kind of like understanding how, how the machine works and how to, how to operate in different circumstances. So one of the things LeBron does in these step-up screens or on these low-angle screens that he sets for Russ around the free-throw line is, is – he knows he's getting good contact on these screens and he knows that Russ is going to need to be engaged by the big man relatively quickly because of how close they are to the basket. So LeBron basically sets that screen and just goes. And because of the angle that he has on the screen, he's the one who has the free path to the basket, mm -hmm. right? And so it looks like a slip because he's behind the defense already where yep. typically you would need to turn and pivot out of that screen in order to get the advantage to create that seal. But LeBron is creating seals after he sets the screen mm -hmm. and it makes it look like a slip, but it's not. And so Russ is throwing these beautiful like quick lobs. They're not these high arcing lobs in order to like mm -hmm. throw it over the top. He is like zipping these balls like eight, nine feet in the air, right? Where it's just like, that's right in LeBron's catch radius where he could catch barely by leaving the ground, come right mm -hmm. back down and finish very quickly right right off of the glass. And that's a thing that you should look for in mm -hmm. the Russ and LeBron pick and roll is how often LeBron sets this kind of weird flat angle screen, not all the way in the back, but not all the way on the side. And he's then just getting right out of that very quickly with his hand up and Russ is just throwing a bullet pass right to his hand. And then LeBron is finishing right off of the basket. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking about the pick and roll. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So one of the things I was thinking about while you were describing that interaction between Russ and LeBron is that we have the advantage of LeBron thinks like the passer in those situations more than any other role man you could possibly hope for. And so that's one of the things that Russ and LeBron do at like 100th percentile level is they yeah. know which pick and roll to choose. Like, cause there are all sorts of pick and roll variations, which is what's cool about this team is we got all sorts of different pick and roll players, even guys like Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, right? And there's all sorts of variations even within the talent that you have. And so they know just through years and years of experience in their particular roles, like which one to choose. And so I want to talk about LeBron as the pick and roll guard now. What have you seen from him in that role? Because I, I don't know, my views have changed on him over the last couple of, over the last year, I would say in that respect. Well, how so? First of all, explain a little bit. <laughs> um, I feel like it takes more, he can't be great at it as casually as mm. he used to be. Sure. You know, and, but one of the things that he's doing again, and you pointed this out earlier that has caught my eye is he's shooting that mid range pull up jumper way more than ever. He shot one like off the glass. He's hit such high skilled shots this year. It's just like, they're, they're he's, from an, incredible, Can't he, hit. he's yeah. an incredible player. Just unbelievable. Dude. Yeah. And so maybe that's what the transition is, right? Is into more of that skill rather than like, cause he would pass up that shot a ton his first few years, even with the Lakers. Like it was always there. Teams are going to defend him in this deep drop. He's LeBron James. We're going to protect the rim. And he'd be like, I don't care. I'm still going to get something good out of this. And oftentimes it might be that interaction with Anthony Davis, right? But it like to put pressure on the rim that would allow that. But really more than ever, he's shooting that pull up and using skill in these areas and relying less on the power elements of his game. I also think that it's one of the areas that he's becoming less effective in, but it also might be something that, you know, LeBron from February through the end of the season can look like a different guy than LeBron through the first month. So I I, I don't want to ever count LeBron out, but this is just one of the areas of his game where it's like, this is, this is diminishing that I, I felt. Well, it's super interesting you say that because LeBron talked about how he reads pick and rolls just recently. I think either in a, it might've been a post-game question that, that he got, or it could have been at a practice. I'm not sure. You would know best. You watch all all of these behind the scenes. But he was talking about how, and Mike brought this up on the pod the other day, how LeBron does not look at his man and he does not even look at the defender who is guarding the screener. He's always looking at the third level of the defense. And I've always said that because LeBron is always looking at the third third level, the third level is going to tell him what his read is. And one of the things that I think is that he has seen that the tag man is early. He's seen who the shooter is in the corner and right. So his own man, his own, Mm -hmm. like his teammate. 
And he is making calculated decisions on what is the best play here. And he's looking at who the role man is and who that help is from the tag position. And so the amount of processing that LeBron is doing and the amount of time that he's doing it is really insane. So Mm -hmm. in a sense, like I don't think Russ views the game this way at all. Actually, I think Russ is like hammer and nail. And he's just like, I'm the hammer and there's the nail and I'm just going to keep going and going and going. I'm going to hammer away and hammer away. And Russ shows a deft amount of skill in how he continues to hammer that nail. It's just like, oh, look at this. Here's here's a little wraparound pass and here's Mm -hmm. a high bullet and here's a shovel pass. And here's a like, oh, I'm actually up in the air and now I'm shoveling it off this way or I'm ball faking. And he has all of these tools, but he's still a hammer. And LeBron is just like, oh, well, this time I see that the tag man isn't quite there. And I see that it's Thomas Bryant who has good hands here. And I see that it's actually Lonnie Walker that's in the corner. And the defender sees the tag, but he actually knows that he's got to get back to Lonnie. Mm -hmm. And so this is the time for the pocket pass to TB. Right. Or to Anthony Davis, because that's the right play. And there are and other that's times happening in a in like a fraction of a second. He's making that decision almost like instantaneously. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he's doing the same thing with, OK, well, I see that they're going to switch this. And so I'm going to pull this guy out and I'm going to attack him. And then when he's facing the switch, he's just like, oh, they're loaded up in this way. So the step back's the right move. Oh, They've been in the key for two seconds. He's about to have to vacate. So now I'm going to drive and and I'm going to attack this. Like there's all of this little nuance that LeBron uses within his decision making that I think has skewed him more towards taking that pull up jumper that that you're talking about. Pete, I, I also think, too, that his lack of success on the three ball means that he's not stringing right. out that dribble more mm-hmm. and taking the step back. Instead, he's taking the 18-footer, which he works on a ton. You watch him pre-game. Mm-hmm. He's always working on on that pull-up mid-range wool with Phil Handy. So I think there's a lot that LeBron is doing that is almost all determined by what the defense is doing. And maybe that's the difference that you're seeing because it used to be that LeBron was just like, well, I can be a hammer too, just like Russell Westbrook. And like my physical ability means that I'm just at the basket regardless. But now I think he's making more choices based off of what he knows his own abilities are within the context of what the defense is doing to take things away. And the hammer isn't completely gone out of the toolbox. It just uh, depends on who you're playing. And one of the guys that he can be a hammer against is DeMontis Sabonis. And that's who the Lakers face tonight. And he's somebody that I... Over the last few years, even when Sabonis was in Indiana, if you were watching those games, the number of LeBron versus Sabonis one-on-one possessions were numerous. He's a guy that LeBron kind of goes after. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on tonight. And I think this is a both LeBron as a ball screen, uh, ball handler, but also the screener. I think he's going to be in both roles tonight and should be very effective in, in both tonight. But I'd love to hear that idea. You were talking about that third level read. That's going to be Sabonis tonight. So what does that look like? Well, I'm interested to see what the Kings actually do in terms of switching versus staying home and and trying to keep the matchup the same. Right. And so one of the things that the Lakers, because this is the fourth. Can you believe that 
it's January 18th and the Lakers, and this is a division opponent as well. And mm-hmm. like, this is the last time they're going to play the Kings all season. And so fourth game against the Kings. And so there's a lot of tape for both coaches to sort of look mm-hmm. at, to see what's worked and, and what has not And I'm interested to see if what the Kings do is actually make Sabonis so that he's not the help man. Because when LeBron sees Sabonis at the rim as the help man, that encourages a drive more. Yep. Jump with me. But, right. But when Sabonis is the guy who's switching out, we've talked about this a bunch. It's like the amount of effort it takes, even for Sabonis has good enough feet and he's a big enough and strong enough guy that he will sort of knock you off or he will shade you a certain way. He's not so awful out there that he can't stay with LeBron at all. We saw this in the Indy game last season where the Lakers won that game, I think, in in Indy, but it was because LeBron was shooting over the top over and over and over again with the step back three. It wasn't because he was beating Sabonis to to the basket off, well, well, off of drives. And so I think that this might end up being much more of like a switch game more Mm. so than like, oh, well, here's Sabonis rooted at the basket as the help man, because I think that would be a mistake by the Kings if that's how they decide to play the pick and roll. What do you think? I I think you're on. I I think you're spot on with that. And I, I could see more possessions with Sabonis out on the perimeter in that way. But if that's the case, then. You need to target Fox in terms of physicality. And this is one of the like broader concepts of the team is if you look behind Sabonis, there isn't a ton of rim protection or just presence around the rim. And Fox is by far the smallest guy. So are you able to target any? You can do that on the offensive boards. It's not something where you have to run a play directly for a guy, but I, that would be one of the ways that you beat that is, okay, we're going to drag your... We saw this a ton with Anthony Davis last year when LeBron was out and we had a really small team around him. It was like, oh, you want to switch? Fine. AD, come guard the ball handler. Ball handler is going to dribble back. Now AD is 25 feet away from the basket. And now Thaddeus Young is kicking your ass in the paint. You know, like one of the other guys that has some size and physicality. And so that to me is this game of cat and mouse in terms of when you play a a team for the fourth time, what you were describing might be where their heads are at to adjust to a pick and roll where LeBron's just really just been great against them, especially in the ball handler role to that's how you counter the counter. So do you envision then there being more guard to big screen screen actions? Because one of the ways that one of the ways that I think the Lakers can try to beat switching style defenses is by changing up who the screener is. Right. And so, yep. The the action that I'm describing where Sabonis ends ends up on LeBron, that's when the Lakers are playing a bigger group, right? And so Sabonis mm-hmm. is defending Wenyon Gabriel or he's defending Thomas Bryant and mm-hmm. LeBron is being defended by Harrison Barnes, right? Or someone of that ilk. And they call up the big man to come and set the screen and Sabonis and they switch it because they're comfortable with Harrison Barnes defending Wenyon Gabriel or Thomas Bryant for the last part of a possession. They build the wall. And they tell Sabonis, okay, we'll just shade him to his left hand, encourage to step back, right? And we'll live with the results. Yep. Yep. And that's how I envision that segment of the game playing out with that specific personnel on the court. But there are different ways to beat that. 
right? And so, okay, well, you're going to defend. So who is, where is Malik Monk on the court? Is Kevin mm-hmm. Herter on the court? Is mm-hmm. De'Aaron Fox on the court? Okay, well, they're guarding Patrick Beverly or they're guarding Troy Brown, right? So you call those guys up then to set the screen. And that is right. much less of a classic screen and roll, although Brown ha- although Brown and Beverly have been very good at operating in the short roll, right? right. But that's a different sort of, of, of action. So talk to me about like, do you envision that being a part of the solution tonight if it plays out the way that I've anticipated it could? I think less so because of our personnel. The type of action you're describing, Austin and Lonnie are probably the best guys on the team at exploiting that. Austin, we've seen him be a a late game screen setter for LeBron a ton and hit those little one-footed floaters where that's the open shot and he's really good at that type of shot. And so that's exactly why we're running that because they're blitzing LeBron, say, right? Um, And Lonnie's ability to kind of catch and shoot and knock down clean open threes is something that I, I think he's really good at. It's also one of the reasons why I dream about that professional jump shooter is that it it is. And again, it's it's sort of like do it's one of those things like do you turn something that's already a strength into this like elite unstoppable force or do you try to plug some of the holes elsewhere? Right. But just in terms of like offensive, where can our pick and roll game go as good as it is? That's really just the part that's lacking is a guy that can set a ghost screen and flare to the top of the paint. And then when two when LeBron takes two guys with him, it's like, oh, crap, that guy's wide open at the top of the key. That's really bad you know um that ideally is is where we go from there but i think with our current personnel it's just tough with the guys that we have out and with the roster that we have so one other solution potentially then is to play smaller and so mm. like, lebron at the five yeah I'm, I'm i mean thomas bryant we talked about his defense the last pod or i did extensively at least about where his struggles have sort of been and the kings are going to target TB a fair amount. And I don't know if you saw this clip. It was on the internet yesterday, but um, both Fox and Sabonis, they were in studio at ESPN LA. And I think they were doing. Oh the, yeah. Um, Very cool. They did the uh, pistol five walkthrough. Yeah. Yeah. And so they did a little example of like how they play this specific action offensively between De'Aaron Fox and, and uh, DeMontis Sabonis. And it was a great little walkthrough that I wish we got so much more Very of that cool. stuff, like like mm-hmm. like on TV and, and just the ability to sort of see the X's and O's. And I think regular analysts could, could do that, but it was great to see the actual players sort of yeah. talk about what their reads are in that yep. case. And so- You learn an appreciation for their expertise. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and so one of the things that they'll do is they will sort of, that action is meant to pick on the big man. Right. Because a lot of big men don't have the ability to defend Sabonis on the on the right block where he loves to get middle and he gets to his left hand almost exclusively. He's just so good at that. And then Fox then zipping around the court and then coming downhill on looking for that handoff or that pocket pass and then Fox coming back and setting a side angle screen while Mm. there are shooters in the opposite corner. And it's just like, okay, well, this actually is a lot to handle here. We have one of the few people in the world who can actually handle that okay in Anthony Davis, but that is a ton of pressure to put on a defense. 
And But one of the guys who, if not through sheer athleticism and force anymore, uh, but through smarts and guile and physical strength, one of the guys who could deal with that best is probably LeBron James, right? Mm -hmm. Because you talked about that IQ and reading games like a passer. That's why passing yep. IQ is so important to me. It's because when you understand the reads of the game as a passer, you can then understand exactly what the offense is trying to do to you mm -hmm. when you're on defense. Yep. And it's one of the reasons why LeBron is such a great off-ball player defensively, why he gets so many steals, why he's so good at like tracking down block shots in the paint. He just understands the flow and the movement of where the ball is going. And then, oh, look, suddenly LeBron James is right around the ball. Like how that happened is because he sees things five, five or six steps ahead. And so I'll be interested to see if the Lakers go smaller and find possessions for LeBron to defend Sabonis. That can't be an all-game ask. It's too much of, of a lift for him at this stage. But it is something where that could end up unlocking some things offensively to Pete. And it puts LeBron back into the position where, okay, well, who then is Sabonis defending? If it's not going to be LeBron as the as the like point center at times. And then if he is on LeBron, then you go right back to LeBron as a screener and then you engage the bonus and ball screens every single time with like Russ and all of these other players and Dennis and say, OK, well, mm -hmm. then defend this and defend it every single play. And that's the thing to keep an eye on for tonight is how did the Lakers target uh, Sabonis on the pick and roll? Would love to hear your comments after the game. If you want to reply to the LFR pod account on Twitter with just what you noticed that that's the thing we're going to kind of collectively keep an eye out for tonight. And we'll probably revisit it tomorrow to see how it, how it went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. With a little tap to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers.
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.